This is episode 394 of the AWS podcast, released on September 27, 2020. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Alicia here with you. Great to have you back. And of course, I'm joined by Nikki Stone. G'day, Nikki. How are you doing? Hey, Simon. You ready for this? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big, fun, uh, detailed set of updates today. And uh, we sort of uh, sit at the start here and take a deep breath. <laughs> and relax and we get a little closer bit and, and go, closer okay. to reinvent here. The, uh, the update list yeah, sort of yeah, grows, doubles in size. Yeah, we're on, a, we're on a journey. We're on a journey here, which is great. <laughs> so let's start with, uh, with the topic of analytics. And Elasticsearch audit logs are now available on the Amazon Elasticsearch service. So you can now get a detailed audit log of all Elasticsearch requests. So this helps you if you're doing compliance regulations or just want to improve your overall security posture. So a nice update there. Amazon Kinesis Data Analytics now supports Apache Flink Kinesis Data Firehost Producer version 2. So it's a big release with the 2.0. Uh, and it has a whole bunch of new capabilities, including support for IAM Assume Role Credentials Provider, bug fixes, and lots of updates and improvements. And Amazon Kinesis Data Analytics also now supports Java-based Apache Beam streaming workloads as well. So if that's something you use, then that will be interesting to you. The Amazon Redshift team have been super busy. They've announced some improvements to the spatial functionality. So this was introduced back in 2019 uh, with a polymorphic data type called geometry and it had more than 40 SQL spatial functions. And now there are a whole bunch of new ones. Uh, In fact, 30 new ones, things like validations, simplification of geometries, new spatial relationships like crosses and contains properties. And also it now enhanced the spatial functionality with multiple capabilities like ODBC and JDBC support for geometry data, support for importing spatial data in shapefile format and spatial joint performance improvements. And spatial data can also be ingested from shapefiles stored in Amazon S3 by using the copy command. And large geometries can be simplified on ingestion time. Lots of good stuff there but they won't finish with the good stuff. They also now support the data API for Amazon Redshift. Um, So the data API simplifies access to Amazon Redshift by removing the need to manage database connections and credentials. You just issue your commands for the cluster to the HTTPS API endpoint provided by the data API, and it does all this sort of stuff. Not too shabby, is it? Love, love it. It's great. Speaking of speaking of loving, um, Amazon Redshift now supports one hundred thousand tables in a single cluster. Uh, so that's up from the previous limit. I know that's a lot. <laughs> that's up for the previous limit, which was twenty thousand tables. So now, if you have clusters using the DC two eight XL, DS two eight XL, RA three four XL, and RA three sixteen XL node types, you can run up to one hundred thousand tables, which is a lot of tables, no matter how you look at it. Uh, now, this limit includes the user-defined temporary tables and temporary tables created by Amazon Redshift during query process or system maintenance, but views are not included in this limit. AWS Glue Data Catalog now supports partition index, which gives you better query performance on highly partitioned tables, so why wouldn't you? And you can now orchestrate and parameterize EMR notebook executions without a graphical user interface access. So it gives you uh, more access from a CLI and SDK perspective, and you can also integrate with things like AWS Step Functions and Apache Airflow to build very resilient workloads. 
Moving on to the topic of application integration, bunch of announcements here that I'm obsessed with. First one is uh, AWS Lambda has added console support for visualizing step functions workflows. That's right. You heard me correct. You can now see your step functions workloads in your Lambda console, making it super easy to orchestrate Lambda functions into a step functions workflow. Love this one. Step functions wasn't quite finished. Also, they have added support for X-Ray, so you can now trace your end and workflows with X-Ray inside step functions, which gives you full visibility across your state machine executions and makes it easier to debug your distributed apps. And Step Functions has increased their payload size to 256 kilobytes. This one I'm specifically in love with because I've had problems with this payload size before. So, uh, <laughs> Did I do this one for you? <laughs> previously, the limit was 32,768 characters, which is like, let me just tell you, too small. Um, now you can pass larger payloads um, in your standard and express workflows. And I will definitely be refactoring my code to support that new change. Thank you so much, Step Functions. Moving on, AppSync has simplified GraphQL query prototyping in the console with GraphQL Explorer and Cognito integration improvements. So AppSync leverages a popular open source tool called GraphQL in the console, and it is an in-browser development environment that provides an interactive playground to compose, test, and see the live results of your queries. Now they've integrated the Explorer plugin built in open source by the team at OneGraph into the GraphQL console, which adds a graphical representation of available fields and inputs that can be used to construct full queries by clicking through available fields and inputs without the repetitive process of typing queries by hand. So it should make it easier to test your queries in the console. Amazon SNS has launched client library supporting message payloads of up to two gigabytes. So another service expanding their payload size. Love it. Love this one so much too. Uh, so previously message payloads were supported up to 256 kilobytes. Using the extended client library, you can now store message payloads larger than 256 kilobytes in an S3 bucket and use SNS to publish and deliver a reference to that payload location and that's uh, for up to two gigabytes. And lastly, Amazon AppFlow now supports Amazon EventBridge as a destination. So AppFlow is a fully managed integration service that enables customers to transfer data between AWS services and SaaS apps with just a few clicks and now supports sending uh, payloads to EventBridge as a destination. Lots of nice choices there. Moving on to the topic of blockchain, Amazon Managed Blockchain now supports Hyperledger Fabric 1.4 for new networks. So this gives you some stability improvements, bug fixes, improves the Node.js and Java client SDKs for easier development and deployment. And it adds a whole bunch of other interesting features that might be relevant to you if you're using this technology. And if you're not using this technology, but maybe you want to learn more about it, there is now uh, the first blockchain course from AWS Training and Certification called Introduction to Blockchain. It's a free on-demand 60-minute digital course for both technical and non-technical learners. Moving on to the topic of business applications. Amazon Chime SDK web applications, uh, you can now build them with the React user interface framework. Uh, so you can use the Amazon Chime SDK React component library to simplify implementation of common user experiences like device selection and local video preview in real-time voice, video, and screen sharing web apps. Uh, so these higher level components you basically can use to make an awesome Chime SDK app uh, very easily and simply. And they're, they're pre-built for you, so that's really nice. 
nice. Uh, definitely suggest checking them out if you are a React developer building something with Chime. And and uh, lastly in this topic, meetings readiness checker APIs now help developers ensure end users can join Chime SDK meetings from their devices. So developers using the Chime SDK can now help end users test their device before they try to join a meeting. So these meeting readiness checker APIs uh, can help verify access to audio and video devices and confirm that users can reach the Chime service from their network. And the results can be presented back to end users with easy to understand pass-fail statuses that can expose a root cause of any issues that you might have. Love this one. So if you want to test out a, basically a meeting before you join it, um, now you can incorporate that into your Chime extension or application using the Chime SDK. Very nifty. Moving on to the topic of compute, lots of updates on this particular topic. The new Amazon EC2 T4G instances powered by the AWS Graviton 2 processors are now available with a free trial. So this is our latest generation of burstable general purpose EC2 T4G instances. And these are powered by the ARM-based AWS Graviton 2 processors, which give you up to 40% better price performance over T3 instances. So the T4G instance provides a baseline level of CPU performance with the ability to burst CPU usage at any time for as long as required. So it's a nice balance of compute, memory, and network resources for lots of general purpose workloads, uh, large-scale microservices, caching services, search engine index, e-commerce, small-medium databases, virtual desktops, you name it, it could probably help. Uh, a free trial, that's right, I said free, of T4G is also available now for the T4G micro instance size. All new and existing AWS customers can utilize the free trial that automatically deducts 750 hours of T4G micro usage from their AWS bill each month until December 31st, 2020. So this is one you should try out. You can get some big performance benefits. The Amazon CloudWatch agent is now open source and included with Amazon Linux 2 or AL2. Uh, you can install it straight in using the Yum Package Manager and away you go. You can also get all the source code and contribute to its development on GitHub. AWS Backup will automatically copy tags from nested EBS volumes to EC2 recovery points. So this is a more seamless way to manage your backups by copying the tags around. And, you know, we love tags very, very much. So this helps you manage those a lot more easily. A couple of updates for AWS Outposts. Application Load Balancer now supports AWS Outposts. So this means you can now get access to a fully managed and secure request level layer seven load balancer service that'll automatically distribute your HTTP and HTTPS traffic across multiple targets like EC2 instances, containers, and IP addresses. So within Outposts, ALB will operate in a single subnet and will scale automatically up to the capacity available on the rack to meet the varying needs of the application load without manual intervention. And that's my favorite kind of intervention, none. There is also now a AWS Outpost Ready Partners capability, which helps customers find integrated storage networks, security, and industry-specific solutions that are validated by AWS experts to integrate with AWS Outpost deployments. So this is a nice, easy way for you to understand what you can use with your Outpost. AWS Parallel Cluster has launched version 2.9.0. Uh, Parallel Cluster is a fully supported and maintained open source cluster management tool that makes it easy for scientists, researchers, and IT admins to deploy and manage high-performance computing clusters in the cloud. A couple of enhancements with this release, uh, support for multiple instance types in Slurm, support for DCV on Graviton2 instances, and Slurm power management plugin. Those look like super interesting uh, enhancements if you 
uh, if you use Parallel Cluster. So definitely check it out. Elastic Beanstalk now supports sharing of an application load balancer among Elastic Beanstalk environments. So you can now associate an existing ALB when you create an Elastic Beanstalk application environment. This allows you to share your ALB and allow it to serve traffic for multiple apps running on Elastic Beanstalk within the same VPC. EKS now supports assigning EC2 security groups to Kubernetes pods. So customers can now leverage EC2 security groups to secure apps with varying network security requirements on shared cluster compute resources. Previously, all pods on a node shared the same security groups, uh, while IAM roles for service accounts solves the pod level security challenge at the auth layer. But many orgs compliance requirements also mandate network segmentation as an additional defense in depth step. Uh, so now you, with network security rules that span pod to pod and to external service traffic can be defined in a single place with EC2 security groups and applied to individual pods and apps with Kubernetes native APIs. So it should be easier to achieve network security compliance in clusters across multiple teams and apps if you're using Kubernetes. EKS now supports the creation and management of Fargate profiles using CloudFormation. Uh, so you can create and manage your EKS Fargate profiles using CloudFormation. So you can now use version control across your Fargate profiles, which is awesome. And API Gateway HTTP APIs now support Lambda and IIM authorization options. So in addition to the previously supported OIDC and OAuth2 auth option, customers can now secure their HTTP APIs using two new auth options, Lambda authorizers and IIM authorizers, which uh, gives you a lot of flexibility in your authorization decision. So you can auth via a Lambda function, or you can leverage IAM policies to control access to your APIs without writing any code. I love that announcement. Very nifty. Amazon Lightsail now offers new OS blueprints. So these are OS only instance blueprints. You can get Amazon Linux 2, Ubuntu 20, Windows Server 2019, and Debian 10. So this gives you a created selection of blueprints that lets you understand exactly how everything is installed in the right way. And this goes along with some of the application blueprints and other bundles that we have. Amazon EC2 Spot Fleet now supports modifying instance types and weights on the run. So you now have the option to modify all those settings in your fleet, known as your Spot Fleet or Fleet. You can replace an entire launch template configuration specifying new instance types, weights and other parameters without deleting and recreating a fleet. That's right. I said without <laughs> deleting and recreating a fleet, which is a pretty big deal for some of our customers have really large fleets. You can also now pause and resume workloads on M5A and R5A instances with Amazon EC2 hibernation. So this will help you uh, hibernate at your convenience and restore them from the saved state later. It's kind of like closing and opening your laptop lid, uh, except without the satisfying snap because it's all virtual. You can now seamlessly join an Amazon EC2 for Linux instance into the AWS directory service. So the new capability automates what was previously a manual approach for integrating Linux-based EC2 into your AWS directory service for Microsoft Active Directory uh, or to an existing on-premises AD using an AD connector. So it's easier to connect in, which makes life simpler, which is a good thing. Nikki, there's an interesting uh, Docker one next. <laughs> AWS and Docker have extended their collaboration to launch new features in Docker Desktop. Love this one. I knew I'm going to like this one. Uh, so they have announced new features that allow developers to use Docker Compose and Docker Desktop to deploy apps uh, on ECS 
on Fargate uh, from ECR or Docker Hub. And this release extends the functionality of deploying and managing those containers from a local development environment running Docker. And you can also deploy services that use secrets from AWS Circuits Manager specified in a compose file right from the Docker CLI. Oh, I love that one so much. <laughs> Amazon Cloud Watch. <laughs> a little bit happy? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That was, that's, uh, that's so nice. You don't even know how nice that is. Um, CloudWatch logs are now also enabled by default, and updating ECS services is now supported. You can also test your ECS deployment locally by running in a local simulation mode. And finally, the new updates and existing functionality to deploy services to ECS is now available in a stable version of Docker Desktop. Love that. Looks like there's a lot of other new uh, features to it as well, so you definitely want to check it out if you use Docker to uh, manage and build your containers that you run on ECS. And lastly, in this and topic, you've got to run your containers somewhere, don't you? So, uh, how about this one? This is a pretty, pretty significant one. So, uh, hit us with this one. Love it! It's, it's so good. The, the secrets manager touch was just also especially good. So, there's a lot of changes there about you know how you develop your containers, but what about running your containers? Ah, yes. There's another announcement for that. Uh, they, uh, the general availability of Bottle Rocket has been announced, which is a new open-source Linux-based operating system purpose-built to run containers. Uh, so Bottle Rocket looks really interesting. It includes only the software needed to run containers and comes with a transactional update mechanism. Uh, these properties enable customers to use container orchestrators to manage OS updates with minimal disruptions, enabling improved security and lowering operational costs for containerized apps. AWS provided bottle rocket images are available for EKS and ECS. So EKS is GA and ECS is still in preview. And bottle rock is, as I mentioned, an open source project on GitHub that I'm sure they would love contributions to. Uh, looks really, really interesting to me. Yeah, pretty, pretty significant and pretty exciting. Let's move on to the topic of cost management. AWS Budgets now offers a daily granularity for cost and usage budgets. So you can see things on a day-by-day -day basis, so it's more granular than before. And what daily budgets allow you to do is to catch unexpected spend and take action sooner rather than waiting until later in the month as you might with a monthly or quarterly budget. Prior to this, daily budgets were only available for reserved instances and savings plan budget types. Now everyone gets them. And the AWS Cost and Usage Report now offers monthly granularity. So this allows you to provide the, the most comprehensive set of billing data available on a monthly basis as well as a, uh, a more complicated view. So with this release, you can set up cost and usage report that includes a daily update of cost usage to a monthly summary. And the monthly file will include all the columns in an hourly or daily cost and usage report, but will result in a smaller overall file size. So most monthly cost and usage reports will be a single file that can be opened using tools like Excel. And the exact file size depends on the volume of AWS service usage and whether you decide to include resource IDs in your report. So more flexibility there. Moving on to the topic of customer engagement, Amazon Pinpoint now supports up to 250 attributes per endpoint, which is an increase from the previous 40. Attributes are part of a customer record stored within Pinpoint that can be used to execute channel marketing through email, push, or SMS. So there was previously you could only have 
40 attributes. Now you can have 250. That's awesome. Uh, Connect has a bunch of announcements too. Uh, they've launched APIs that list prompts within your instance, uh, which enables you to automate recurring processes that are manual. For example, you can identify the prompts that need to be re-recorded with a new voice actor or replicated in a new language or automatically resolve prompt ARNs between your development staging and production environments, saving time and thus minimizing errors. They've also launched contact flow management APIs so you can create, describe, update, and publish contact flows via APIs. Contact center admins can now programmatically configure and test those contact flows, accelerating the time and effort to deploy changes and minimizing unavoidable errors. And Connect has also launched APIs to configure routing profiles programmatically. Uh, and using these APIs, you can create new routing profiles or update existing routing profiles to adapt to changing traffic patterns in your contact center. Moving on to the topic of database, and we have a lot of database updates. <laughs> the first one is Amazon RDS for SQL Server now supports SQL Server reporting services or SSRS on SQL Server 2016. And this is important because it gives you the ability to host the report server web portal on the same Amazon RDS DB instance as your SQL Server database. And there's no additional cost to install it directly onto that instance. So this can help you save cost because you have basically one less server. Another quick update in terms of RDS for SQL Server, it now supports more time zones, including the South Africa Standard Time, Sri Lanka Standard Time, and UTC plus 13. So more choices there. And announcing Aurora Parallel Query region expansion and also MySQL 5.7 compatibility. Now, Parallel Query gives you faster analytical queries over your transactional data, which speeds your queries up by two orders of magnitude, depending on the query, but you still get high throughput for your core transactional workload. So this launch today means you can also use it with other MySQL 5.7 features like Global Database. And we've also expanded availability to 20 AWS regions as well. PostgreSQL 13 Beta 3 is now available in the Amazon RDS database preview environment. So this is an environment where you can spin things up and test them out to make sure things are compatible, et cetera. We know a lot of people when they're doing their update cycle need early access to things. So that's the latest one available there. And also Amazon Aurora PostgreSQL patches 3.2.3, 2.5.3 and 1.7.3 are now generally available. So these are typically uh, critically important stability, reliability and security fixes. So patch your stuff is the thing to do. Amazon Aurora Postgres also now supports the RD kit extension. And this allows cheminformatics to deal with manipulation of chemical structures, fingerprinting search functions, and molecular structure matching. Way, way beyond my level of capability, <laughs> but if you're a specialist in this area, <laughs> that's something you're going to want to have. Um, another quick update for Aurora is support for PostgreSQL 11.8, 10.13, and 9.6.18. So again, upgrade, patch, do what you need to do. Amazon RDS for Oracle has a few announcements. They now support July 2020 Oracle patch set updates and release updates. Uh, so let's see, it's Oracle Database 11.2 and 12.1. So patch set updates for those. And then release updates for Oracle Database 12.2, 18C, and 19C, which looks like it contains bug fixes and other critical security updates. So definitely make sure you patch if those are important to you. And RDS for Oracle now supports user authentication with Kerberos and Microsoft Active Directory in the GovCloud. Uh, so now that's uh, support for external authentication of database users 
using Kerberos and Microsoft AD in all of the GovCloud US regions. Uh, with this feature, you can enable your database users to authenticate against RDS using either credentials stored in AWS directory service from Microsoft AD or the credentials stored in your on-prem Microsoft AD with Forest Truist relationship established between your on-prem AD and the AWS managed Active Directory. You can use the same Active Directory for different VPCs within the same region, and you can also join Amazon RDS for Oracle instances to shared Active Directory domains owned by different accounts. Uh, so that's definitely cool if you use either of those authentication methods. Amazon RDS for SQL Server now supports native backup or restore on DB instances with read replicas. Uh, previously, the read replica would need to be removed before restoring the native backup file into your Amazon RDS for SQL Server DB instance. Now you don't have to do that. Uh, so it makes life a bit easier. And now I know many of you have been saying, Simon, when is RDS for SQL Server going to support TraceFlag 692? It's been a big question. Um, I joke because I love the names that we have for things. So uh, we now support TraceFlag 692. <laughs> and you may go, what is that? Uh, if you're a SQL Server person, you'll know. But enabling this TraceFlag disables fast inserts while bulk loading data into heap or clustered indexes. And this really reflects a change that took place in SQL Server 2016 where fast inserts are enabled by default, but you may not want that behavior, so you may want to be able to turn it off. So now you can do that. And speaking about the future of database support, Amazon RDS for SQL Server now supports SQL Server major version 2019. So you can get CU5 for Express, Web Standard and Enterprise Edition on the Windows operating systems. And you can get some of the new 2019 features, including accelerated database recovery, intelligent query processing, intelligent performance features, uh, resumable index rebuilds, a whole bunch of interesting new stuff. Dev tools. We're moving on to my favorite topic. Hooray, so only Nikki is allowed to talk about dev tools. That's one of the rules uh, of so nice the update show. To let me do dev tools. Okay, first announcement, paginators in AWS SDK for .NET v3.5. Uh, so they've now released paginators. Many operations in the in AWS return paginated results when the response object is too large, return in a single response. Using paginators, you can navigate through the paginated response from the services. So if you're using .NET Core, you can now take advantage of the AI sync enumerable interface that was introduced to .NET with 3.1, and this makes it easy to navigate through the responses asynchronously. So that's a really cool update if you use the .NET SDK. Amazon Code Guru Profiler now supports private link. Again, I love these private link updates because I love being able to hit AWS services inside a VPC uh, via private links. You can now securely initiate API calls to Code Guru Profiler from within your VPC without crossing the public internet and without using public IPs. XRE has a few announcements here as well. They have launched anomaly detection-based actionable insights in preview, which uh, uses anomaly detection to create insights about any anomalies in an app. And you can use these to proactively identify issues signaled by increases in the fault rate of an application or determine the root cause of the issue, visualize the upstream and downstream services affected by the anomaly, and also understand its impact on your end users. You can also view the incident timeline to understand and when the issue started and how it progressed. X-Ray has also launched auto-instrumentation agent for Java. This enables customers to collect trace data without having to modify existing Java-based apps. With the launch of this agent, you can trace Java web and server-based applications with minimal configuration change and no code change. And X-Ray now supports controlling access to X-Ray resources using tags. 
tags. So X-Ray now has tag support. You can use tags. The right tags. Yeah, the right tags. <laughs> Love those tags. You can use tags to create, update, or delete X-Ray groups and rules. Amazon Credo 15 release candidate is now available. So Amazon now supports the latest Java feature release, JDK 15. With this release candidate, it's available on Linux, Windows, and Mac OS. And we now have the Amazon AppFlow APIs and SDK. So this is a fully managed integration service that lets customers securely transfer data between AWS services and software as a service applications. And it can now be accessed programmatically through the SDK. And uh, that means, Nikki, you can now look at it because you don't touch anything that doesn't have an SDK. <laughs> that's true. Oh, that's ridiculously <laughs> true. It's funny because it's true. Funny because it's true. <laughs> uh, and Amazon CloudWatch Logs features now available in the AWS Toolkit for Visual Studio Code. Now, I think, is that your IDE of choice? Nikki, that is my IDE of choice. Yeah, previously this toolkit, when it first launched, um, it only had Lambda support. And then recently I got excited because they started um, having S3 support and now they have CloudWatch Logs. So I'm just stoked. <laughs> very, very exciting. Let's move on to the topic of end-user computing. Amazon Workspaces now has support for cross-region redirection. I'm not going to try and say that three times fast. So now you can use a fully qualified domain name as your Amazon Workspaces registration code. And when your end users log into Workspaces, you can then redirect them across Amazon Workspaces region based upon your DNS policies for the FQDN. Uh, so this helps you get better performance and also give you alternate approaches if a particular region is unavailable for some reason. Amazon WorkDocs now supports auto-provisioning for all directory users. So when provisioning your WorkDocs suite, all directory users are given a valid WorkDocs account, which means they can sign in and start using it straight away. And a managed user has one terabyte of personal storage and can save files and collaborate with other users in a WorkDocs site. Workspaces, they've also introduced Microsoft Office Professional Bundle for bring your own Windows license workspaces. So you can now subscribe to Microsoft Office Professional from AWS on BYOL Workspaces, bring your own licenses. This new offering makes it easier for customers to use the Office suite of apps on Workspaces with their own license. Amazon Workspaces has also enabled AWS Resource Group's Tag Editor. Uh, so this allows you to add edit or delete tags from your workspaces along with resources. We know how much we love our tags. And lastly, in this topic, Amazon AppStream 2.0 has enabled the resource groups tags editor as well. So you can add, edit, or delete tags from your image builders, fleets, and stacks along with your other AWS resources inside Amazon AppStream. Moving on to the topic of game tech, AWS announces a general availability of Amazon GameLift feature update. So this is the GA of an Amazon GameLift fleet IQ update that lets game developers add low-cost, low-latency GameLift servers to their existing on-premises or cloud-based server capacities. So GameLift is an AWS managed service for deploying, operating, and scaling dedicated servers for multiplayer games. And it's trusted by some of the most successful game companies in the world, companies like Ubisoft, GameLoft, and N3T work. With this update, developers can launch low-cost GameLift servers into their AWS accounts and register the servers with their existing game server management systems to incrementally migrate live games, burst in-game events, or deployed containerized games into AWS. Lots and lots and lots and lots of really interesting capabilities here. This is one of those um, really hard problems to solve that I think the team have been doing a great job working with some of these major game providers to uh, to solve for. And I suspect some of the games I play on a semi-regular basis uh, have their games hosted in some of those servers. So I feel kind of good about that. 
a good point. <laughs> Moving on to the topic of Internet of Things, IoT Greengrass has introduced system health telemetry and added a new stream manager added new stream manager features and also support for Python 3.8. So Greengrass 1.11 is now available. And uh, this release obviously has introduced a lot of different things. The first of which is the system health telemetry feature, which helps you monitor the status of your Greengrass core devices and the functionality of the Greengrass core system components. And the telemetry data is collected locally and automatically published to the cloud. You can also create event rules in Amazon EventBridge to store event information, take corrective action, or initiate other events. Uh, the stream manager has gotten some updates. It now allows you to update stream configuration dynamically, such as change the size of existing streams to manage the amount of data uploaded to the cloud, pause or resume an export of streams, and also enables you to export data automatically to S3 and IoT site-wise, which is awesome, in addition to the already supported IoT analytics and Kinesis. And Greengrass has also expanded its language support, enabling you to deploy Lambda functions written using Python 3.8 to Greengrass cores and install IoT Greengrass to the Yocto's Projects LTS release. Hopefully, if you use Greengrass, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> that makes sense to people who use it. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it does. You can also use the community-supported Meta AWS project to install Greengrass to fit-for-purpose custom Linux distributions built by the Yocto project build system. The AWS IT SDK for embedded C version 2020.09.00 is now available. It has refactoring, better code. MQTT, JSON, and AWS IT device shadow libraries have all been refactored and gone through code quality checks, including new complexity, MISRA coding standard and coverity static analysis and the C-bounded model checker uh, automated reasoning tool to make sure we have memory safety and functional corrective proof, which is important on these types of devices. The free RTOS kernel v10.4.0 is now available with new features and enhanced ports, uh, things like director -to, direct to task notification capabilities, improved memory protection unit support and a new Linux port as well. So some nice options there. And there's a new AWS Solutions Consulting offer. Rubik's IoT Fleet Management is now available as an offer to set things up and get them up and running very, very quickly. And there's a price drop. I do like a price drop. AWS announces an 86% plus price reduction for AWS IoT events. That's a big reduction. Um, this is a fully managed service that makes it easy to detect and respond to changes indicated by IoT sensors and applications. So for example, you could use it to detect malfunctioning machinery, a stuck conveyor belt, or a slowdown in production output. When an event is detected, AWS IoT events automatically triggers actions or alerts so you can resolve issues quickly, reduce your maintenance costs, increase operational efficiency. Uh, with IoT events, you pay for each message evaluated to determine the state of your equipment or processes. And so we're reducing the current price per message evaluation at the lowest usage tier by 86%. And we're wow. also introducing additional usage tiers that give you even higher discounts once you get above 100 million message evaluations per month. So lots and lots of reduction in cost there. It's a huge decrease. There's a new solutions consulting offer from serverless IoT platform accelerator coming from a consulting engagement from Onica. And let's see, it's this uh, offering solves common problems and implementation around data ingestion, storage, and monitoring of IoT devices. With this accelerator, customers can gain intelligence 
from their data within minutes of deploying to the cloud. Customers that request this consulting offer will, will participate in an engagement that delivers IoT device connectivity, customized app features, data visualization, notifications, and device controls in a user-friendly interface, which leads to device data insights. Love those insights. And lastly, in this topic, IoT Core has expanded their custom authentication options. Uh, so you can authenticate, in addition to customers using HTTP or WebSockets to connect to Core, they can now customize which headers or query parameters they use to pass device credentials to their authorizers. For example, customers can now pass credentials via the auth header or access token query parameter commonly used in OAuth implementations. They can also define their own AWS Lambda-based workflows called authorizers to call external identity and access management services to authenticate devices and authorize their operations in IoT Core. Moving on to the topic of machine learning and Amazon Kendra has got quite a few interesting updates. Firstly, custom tags for FAQs are now supported. So you can, uh, for example, upload marketing FAQs with a marketing tag to ensure that Kendra targets marketing-related FAQs and excludes unrelated content to generate more accurate answers. So this helps you uh, tune the results you get. Amazon Kendra now supports cloud formation, so that's always a good thing. And it also has launched confidence scores. So uh, basically what this allows you to do is to see the estimated accuracy of a search result. And it assigns the confidence scores into four main categories, very high, high, medium, and low for various document type results. And this means that developers can better distinguish between returned results and set thresholds for, for when results should be displayed. So by combining confidence scores with Amazon Kendra's ability to intelligently search the unstructured data using natural language, you can get more accurate answers and a better search experience. It's more like talking to a human expert or even better, who knows? Comprehend now helps you mask personally identifiable, identifiable information from text documents. So it will mask PII, also known as personally identifiable information. Uh, that, so any of that information that can be used to identify an individual, like social security numbers, credit card numbers, and email addresses, it will it will mask that information from text documents synchronously and asynchronously via their API. That one's pretty cool. Transcribe has announced channel identification support for streaming audio. Uh, so Transcribe now supports this channel identification to streaming audio, which allows you to process live audio from multiple channels and produce a single transcript of the conversation with channel labels. That one is super cool. And contact centers, apps are often designed to analyze content from both caller and agent audio channels during a single live call. Using channel identification, customers can now separate multiple channels from within a live audio stream to generate transcripts that label each audio channel. That one's really cool. Transcribe wasn't quite finished. They've added support for automatic language identification. So it makes it really easy uh, to identify which language is being transcribed instead of manually requiring the dominant language to uh, actually uh, transcribe the audio. You can now simply provide the audio files and transcribe will detect the dominant language from the speech sig signal and generate the transcriptions in that identified language. Lex has announced- Very nifty. Uh, I want to talk about these ones, Nikki, because I've got a, a cunning plan in mind. <laughs> so Amazon Lex has launched support for both British English and Australian English. And uh, this may go way over your head as, a, as an American, Nikki, but um, my plan is to get Lex British to talk with Lex Australian about the cricket and to argue about the ashes. 
I think that would work really well. Now, there's two cohorts listening to this podcast that are laughing happily and you're sitting there going, what is he talking about? Would that be correct? <laughs> cricket. Okay, wait, now you've got to say what it means though because you also have American well, listeners well, on this podcast. Well, that's true. So cricket is a, is a sport that has a, a many uh, storied history and the one of the biggest rivals in the sport of cricket is the rivalry between the Australians and the English because the uh, the English felt they – well, they invented the game and uh, when us colonials um, beat them for the first time, the ashes were created because it was defined as the death of English cricket. <laughs> and, uh, we, we now fight over this tiny little urn. So if you think about the Stanley Cup being this enormous, massive hunk of metal – in ice hockey, um, this is the reverse of that. It's a tiny, grungy little urn in which the ashes of English cricket is in, and it is the most highly prized uh, cricketing trophy. Oh my gosh! There you go. So now, so now the Amazon Lexbots can can argue about that, and they've also added support for what's called the express testing capability, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, and basically, what this does is allows you to test your uh, basic interaction elements such as the conversation flow, prompts, responses and fulfilment logic soon after you initiate the build process without having to wait for the entire build to finish. So before you had to wait for the whole build to finish before you could test it, now you can test it much sooner, which means you can iterate much more quickly. And finally, uh, Private Link is now supported for Amazon Textract, so another service that supports that capability. So it adds another capability that's easy to use. Love it. Moving on to the topic of management and governance, AppFlow is now supported by CloudFormation. So you can now create and configure Amazon AppFlow resources, such as connector profiles and AppFlows, along with uh, the rest of your infrastructure in your CloudFormation template. Systems Manager Explorer now supports grouping and customization of operational data sources. Uh, so it now supports new service customizations to help you easily discover and personalize operational data sources based on their business needs. So with this new feature, you can group operational data sources by categories, such as security, cost savings, governance, and availability from the Explorer settings page. And you now have improved flexibility to configure the Explorer dashboard, add all the data widgets, and reset the dashboard layout. Systems Manager also now supports on-demand patching with just two clicks. That's right. You can now initiate on-demand scanning for patch compliance in accordance with your patch rules, remediate when patches are out of compliance within seconds using the Systems Manager's patch manager and track the progress in real time with just two clicks. I love it. I love that. I love that announcement. That's the right number of clicks. It's exactly the right number. <laughs> and Systems Manager, lastly, now supports all current versions of Ubuntu. So it now supports Ubuntu's latest version, 20.04. Up until now, Patch Manager only supported current versions up to 18.04. AWS organizations now supports tagging, tag on create, and attribute-based access control, or ABAC, or ABAC. Uh, so now you can attach tags or use it to find attributes to organizational units, the organization's root and policies, thus enabling you to easily identify, classify, or categorize resources in your organization. You can also tag these resources as you create them, giving you a convenient way to ensure that all your AWS organization's resources are always tagged. 
And you can now leverage these tags for attribute-based access control or ABAC, which is an authorization strategy that defines permissions based on tags attached to users and AWS resources. This can simplify your permissions management as you can author a single permission policy that you don't need to update as new resources are added to your AWS environment. You can also improve your security posture by authoring granular permission rules based upon the tags you define. So lots of options there. Amazon CloudWatch dashboards now support sharing. So you can now share it with users that do not have access to your AWS account. Uh, so this enables you to create reusable graphs of data for, from your AWS resources and custom metrics and logs. Uh, so you can quickly monitor operational status and identify issues at a glance. Uh, with this new capability, you can share it across teams, stakeholders, people external to your organizations. You can even display dashboards on big screens in team areas or embed them in wikis and other web pages. This is an important thing because that's how we want to share our information of what's going on in the world cool. of your application. Isn't the very nice, that one. Uh, CloudWatch has been busy. Amazon CloudWatch Synthetics now supports enhanced monitoring for broken link and GUI workflow blueprints. So it makes it easier for you to monitor those critical GUI workflows and also see any dead links in your application. Uh, you can now individually debug each step of the GUI workflow and hone in on the specific broken or dead link when you're alerted that something doesn't behave as expected. And you get screenshots and latencies for each step of the workflow, which help you identify if the failure was because of issues related to the web application or its underlying infrastructure. And Amazon CloudWatch now monitors Prometheus metrics from container environments. So if that's something of interest to you, you can now do that. And they've also released a Java client library for embedded metric format. So this allows you to ingest complex high cardinality application data in the form of logs and easily generate application metrics from them. Now, it's traditionally been quite hard to do that particularly from your ephemeral resources like Lambda functions and containers. By sending your logs in the embedded metric format, you can now easily create custom metrics without having to instrument or maintain separate code whilst getting very powerful analytical capabilities in your log data. AWS single sign-on has added account assignment APIs and cloud permission support to automate multi-account access management. So you can use the APIs to retrieve permissions programmatically for audit and governance purposes. And it also enables you to automate control of the SSO central permissions, making it easier to manage access at scale across all of your accounts. These new APIs enable you to build automation to create and update permissions that align with your company's common job functions and assign those permissions to users and groups to entitle them for access in their required accounts. And then additionally, obviously, that's also supported in CloudFormation, which is awesome. Service Catalog simplifies product discovery, provisioning, and search. So it now supports the use of admin-provided names for product discovery, provisioning, and searches on running products. With this new feature, admins can define their taxonomy for product naming and versioning, and this taxonomy is accessible to builders and admins for use within their code and scripts. Referencing by name helps builders innovate faster and provides a consistent product discovery and provisioning experience across their accounts and regions. CloudTrail now provides relevant user stats to act on anomalies detected by CloudTrail Insights. So it now helps you correlate user identities, user agents, and error codes associated with unusual levels of API activity. You can identify the IAM users and rules with the highest levels of API activity during both periods of anomalous activity and normal activity. And this helps you analyze and act on those anomalies without manually searching through a large number of CloudTrail events. AWS Ops Work for Configuration Management now supports resources in CloudFormation Registry with open implementation. 
Ops Worker Configuration Management is a configuration management service that provides managed instances of Chef Automate and Puppet Enterprise. And they've now updated their CloudFormation support for OpsWorks resources, which includes support for the CLI and SDK operations, as well as opening up the implementation to allow for community feedback and contributions. So you can now configure your desired OpsWorks CM environment in a reusable CloudFormation template while leveraging the latest OpsWorks features. Moving on to the topic of media services, we're happy to introduce the Adibus Cloud Digital Interface or CDI and input support in Adibus Elemental Media Live. Now, this is a network technology for reliably transporting uncompressed live video between applications. Adibus CDI uses enhanced and advanced high-performance features available in EC2 instance types that support the Elastic Fabric Adapter or EFA. So you can now send video reliably between applications with network latency as low as 8 milliseconds, which is less than one frame of video in duration. Also, AWS Elemental Media Live now supports AWS CDI inputs, which means you can have higher quality and lower latency inputs for live cloud transcoding, which is very, very exciting. And AWS Elemental Media Live also has AVC UHD outputs. So now you can support advanced video coding for ultra high definition outputs as well and a whole bunch of new uh, support for different uh, resolutions, etc. And WebM dash outputs are also now available with Adibus Elemental Media Convert. So if you want to output using VP8 or VP9 video, you can do it. Moving on to my other favorite topic, mobile. Amazon API Gateway now supports mutual TLS authentication. So customers can now enable... Big one, this one. <laughs> yeah, me Big too. one. <laughs> customers can now enable mutual TLS on custom domain names for regional REST and HTTP APIs at no additional cost. This enhances the security of your API and helps protect your data from attacks such as client spoofing or man-in-the-middle attacks. Simon, are you going to be using this one a lot? Well, I've had a lot of customers who who really needed this one. And in fact, uh, one of the great stories one of my, my team told me the other day is they, they literally left a customer meeting where they said, we really need this. And he said, I'll go check when it's available for you. And the next day he rang back and said, it's available. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best story ever. We love those. Uh, moving on, uh, Amplify JavaScript has added server-side rendering support for frameworks like Next.js and Nuxt.js. And I know those sound ridiculously similar, but they actually are different. <laughs> That's Next and Nuxt. Thank you for decoding that for me. <laughs> I'm not familiar with either of those. <laughs> uh, so both of those frameworks enable developers to use SSR as well as static site generation and client-side rendering to build fast and modern sites. They're, they're actually very, very popular frameworks. Um, they've grown in popularity. And, uh, and so most of the customers actually are requesting the support for these frameworks. So we now have the support in Amplify JS. Um, Amplify CLI now supports tagging resources at a project level. So you can now assign tags to Amplify generated resources using the CLI, which is awesome. So you use the CLI to create resources. You can now tag those resources. And lastly, Amplify Android has worked ridiculously hard, and I know for a fact that's true, on RxJava support. Uh, so they are announcing first-class support for RxJava with the release of Amplify Android 1.3.0. Um, and this is actually making it super easy for asynchronous calls and even nested asynchronous calls. RxJava is a Java VM implementation of reactive extensions. It's usually widely used by Android developers, and it is a means to simplify async programming. So you now have that support in Amplify Android. 
Well done, team. Moving on to the topic of networking and content delivery, Amazon CloudFront now has support for Brotly Compression. Now, Brotly is a widely supported lossless compression algorithm, which often provides a better compression ratio than GZIP. Yes, I know, hard to believe, but there you go. And smaller file sizes improve application performance by delivering your content faster to viewers. CloudFront Brotly's edge compression delivers up to 24% smaller files as compared to GZIP. So that's pretty cool. Amazon CloudFront also announces support for TLS version 1.3 for viewer connections. So this allows you to provide better performance with a simpler handshake process, less round trips, uh, so it's more uh, performant, and it also improves the security by removing legacy features and alter cipher suites that were present in earlier versions of TLS. Because And also TLS 1.3 only supports perfect forward sequency cipher suites that generate a one-time key used only for the current network session, and it is available today and enabled by default across everything that CloudFront does. Another CloudFront update that I'm pretty excited about because I think it's pretty cool is it now supports real-time log delivery of CloudFront access logs. Now, this is a bit of a change for how the logs used to be done. The real-time logs contain detailed information about viewer requests that CloudFront receives, and these logs are delivered to your Kinesis data streams in real time, making it easy for you to monitor the performance of your content delivery and respond quickly to operational events. Now, CloudFront has always supported delivery of access logs to customers' Amazon S3 buckets, and these logs are typically delivered in a matter of minutes. They come through pretty quickly, but some customers have time-sensitive use cases that require access to log data quickly. So the new real-time logs gives it to you in a matter of a few seconds with additional configurability. So for example, you can choose the fields you need in the logs, enable the logs for a specific path pattern or cache behaviors, and you can also choose the sampling rate, so the percentage of requests that are included in the logs. It's all kinds of goodness. If you've ever wanted to get your information quicker about your what your CloudFront distribution is doing, now it's available to you. I love that one too. <laughs> um Site-to-site VPN now supports internet key exchange initiation. You can now initiate internet key exchange, also known as IKE, negotiations for your VPN connections from AWS. It's available for new and existing site-to-site VPN connections and can be accessed through the console. Um, It's also available via the CDK, CLI, SDK, all the other things as well. Uh, Route 53 Resolver now supports VPC DNS query logging, uh, which lets you log the DNS queries that originate in your VPCs. And with this enabled, you can see which domain names have been queried, the AWS resources from which the queries originated, including source IP and instance ID and the responses that were received. Moving on to the topic of security, identity, and compliance. Amazon Detective introduces IAM role session analysis. So this allows you to visualize and understand the actions that users and apps have performed using assumed roles. So with this new capability, Detective enables you to answer questions such as, which federated user invoked APIs that are associated with a security finding? What API calls did a user invoke across a chain of role assumptions? What API activities did an EC2 instance perform? Which of my users use this cross-account role? All without manually analyzing CloudTrail logs. And so this helps you do your security analysis and diagnose issues and find root cause very, very quickly. This is a very, very cool capability and I'm kind of excited about it. You can now also enforce encryption for Amazon Elastic File System resources using AWS IAM, which means you can enforce that data encryption at rest to take place so you can prevent users from creating EFS file systems that are not encrypted. 
And finally, the AWS Secrets Manager has been OSPAR assessed and approved. So this is the Outsource Service Provider Audit Report. And this assessment demonstrates that AWS Secrets Manager has a system of controls in place that meets the Association of Banks in Singapore's guidelines on control objective procedures for outsource service providers. Yet another certification available to you. Moving on to the topic of storage, uh, we've announced the GA of new provisioned IOPS volume for Amazon EBS. Uh, so this new EBS provisioned IOPS volume features higher durability of 99.999% and supports provisioning 500 IOPS for every provisioned gigabyte. This means that with IO2 customers get 100 times better volume durability, and 10 times higher IOPS to storage ratio, all at the same price as IO1. Love that. Love it when it's better at the same price. <laughs> exactly. And, and just just on this one, Nikki, because I think it's important, is that you know many, many of our listeners have used EBS for a long time, and it's a service that's gone through a lot of iteration in terms of capability. And, and often our mental model is like, you know, well, I remember what EBS was like five years ago, and that's what I think it is today. It's not. Um, so, so the fact that you've got five nines of durability, you've got so much more IOPS, et cetera, it's, it's a big deal in terms of how you architect your applications. Agreed. It's really, really cool that you could take advantage of these new features, again, at the same price as IO1. Moving on, the Data Lifecycle Manager now supports multiple schedules within a single lifecycle policy. So you can now provide multiple creation and retention schedules for your EBS snapshots within a single Data Lifecycle Manager policy. Multiple schedule support enables you to create daily, weekly, and monthly snapshots for your target volumes from the same policy, reducing the setup time and making it easier to manage those DLM policies. Amazon AppFlow now supports new data formats for ingesting files into S3. Looks like you can now choose between JSON, CSV, or Parquet file format when transferring data from a source app into S3. And this feature is supported for all source applications except Google Analytics and Amplitude currently, which this just makes it really easy to integrate data ingested through AppFlow into your analytics pipelines without having to do any uh, data transformation. The Amazon S3 bucket owner condition helps you validate correct bucket ownership. So what this does is lets you easily verify that the S3 buckets you interact with are owned by expected AWS accounts. So S3 request APIs can now include an optional bucket ownership condition parameter containing an AWS account ID that lets you verify that a specialized, a specified, I should say, AWS account ID is associated with the bucket that they are communicating with. Now, when a bucket owner condition is used, S3 API requests will only succeed if the bucket owner matches the account specified. And this helps you prevent accidental interactions with buckets owned by unexpected AWS accounts. So it also helps protect you against typos, etc. There's a new digital training course, Amazon FSx for Lustre Primer. This is a course that explains how to get started with the particular service, uh, which is a fully managed file system service for machine learning, high performance computing, and other workloads. This is an intermediate 100 minute course that offers self-paced reading modules, video demonstrations, and a quiz to check your knowledge. It's designed for storage engineers, system administrators, and cloud architects. This is a good one if you already have storage capability in your uh, resume, but you want to get a little deeper on Lustre. 
And finally, AWS Storage Gateway increases performance by 4x for File Gateway. That's four times more, which is a good thing. So with this launch, you can read files stored in Amazon S3 through the File Gateway at up to four gigabits per second, which gives you faster on-premises access to data stored in AWS. And you can also restore backups stored in the cloud more quickly and provide end users with faster access to files in Amazon S3. So we love a performance improvement, no cost change. Love it when things are just faster. Moving on to the topic of training and cert, one announcement here. There are two new exam readiness classroom courses now available. So there is exam readiness AWS certified database specialty and exam readiness AWS certified data analytics specialty. So there's two new one day advanced level constructor led training courses. And uh, these courses are designed to help you prepare to take the AWS certified database specialty or the AWS certified data analytics specialty exams. It's pretty awesome. Very good. And as well as public training, private training is also available too, which is nice. Nikki, it's been a journey. <laughs> One of our longest ones ever, I think. 139 updates, shall we say? Something like that. Who's counting? So, Nikki, how do people get in touch with you? So, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter username is knee, like your knee, and the key. So, that's K-N-E-E-K-E-Y 23. Uh, feel free to DM me. I answer all my DMs. I'd love to hear your feedback on the podcast. And I always relay everything I hear about to Simon. Yeah, because I'm, I'm somewhat challenged when it comes to social media. <laughs> <laughs> so you can reach me old school. Uh, AWS podcast at Amazon.com is the place to do that. Hey, Nikki, thanks for making the time and uh, stay safe over there. Thank you so much, Simon. Talk to you soon. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, like I said, would you love your feedback? AWS podcast at Amazon.com is the place to do that or give us a review, whatever works for you. And until next time, keep on building. <laughs>